All right. We're going to continue our walk through the Gospel of Luke. If you have your Bible, we're, uh, you can go ahead and turn to uh, Luke chapter 10. This is a series entitled Radical Love. And we continue to see Jesus teaching mankind how much he cares for us and how much he loves us. The text we're going to look at today, again, found in Luke chapter 10. We will start at verse 25. Continues with this theme of God's love to mankind. We're going to jump right into the word this morning so that you guys can go to your uh, Mother's Day feasts. For those of you who take the Sabbath seriously and maybe prepare for church, you know this was coming up and you, you had a chance to read up on what we were going to be uh, talking about today, next week. We're going to be studying the Lord's Prayer. So you might want to read up, you know, read ahead a little bit. But today's scriptures, we're talking about the parable of the Good Samaritan. Probably the most iconic story in the Bible. The parable of the Good Samaritan. We're going to go, we're going to take a look at this very well-known story. Very well-known probably to you. And certainly well-known in our culture. But before we get into the word, let's, uh, let's bow our heads in prayer. Father God, thank you so much for your Bible. Thank you for delivering your truths, your thoughts and commands to us because you love us radically. Father, we are all busy. We Americans chafe at the notion of the Sabbath, the day of rest. Even right now, Lord, we are thinking about what we're going to do this afternoon. And Lord, I pray against that. I pray that your Holy Spirit will abide with us, all of us today, as we study your word and what it means for us. Help us to understand your truths contained in Scripture and help us to learn from your teachings. Help us to be better Christians because of your holy word. Change our hearts to love you more and to love our neighbors more. And we pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So parables, you've seen as we've gone through Luke. Jesus was the master storyteller. He often used parables to teach truths that he wanted us to learn. Parables are just short stories. Oftentimes made up. This one's made up. All right. But it's to teach us lessons that are easy to understand. Now, this is an interesting one, the, the uh, story of the uh, Good Samaritan, because there's a, there's a very easy one, lesson to learn, which is to take care of your neighbors as yourself. Right. And that's often used in the marketplace of ideas today. But we're going to look a little bit deeper because we're going through Scripture Book by book. We're going through Luke all the way through. So we're not just going to talk about the story of the Good Samaritan. We're going to, that's an answer. That's Jesus' answer to a very good question. We learn from this story how to take care of each other's in need. How to take care of this woman, Rosa. Rosa Estrada. And her uh, seven grandkids that live with her. There are Good Samaritan standards in our U.S. legal system, by the way. I thought there was a separation of church and state. Well, it's in there. So you stop at the side of the road and you help somebody out in a car crash and they die. You're covered by Good Samaritan standards that you won't be held accountable for that. This is a very well-known story. And the problem with it being a well-known story, it's well-known. So there's a tendency right now in your heads to say, okay, I did that. Let's see, there's, there's a priest, right? And there's a Levite. And there's a Samaritan. Two denarii. 
right? And so you click off your brain and you stop listening. Please don't do that. Because I've really worked hard for this. (laughs) As my uh, wife and kids can tell you. So don't tune out because Hebrews 4.12 says, and I believe this. And that's why I'm taking a little different tack on this. By the way, if you've been with us for any number of years, I preached on this five, six years ago when we were over there at the Baptist church. And I took a different tack. So God led me to the uh, full exegetical uh, interpretation today. But Hebrews 4.12 says that the word of God, you know this, is living and active. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. So I trust that and I believe it. And that's why I am going to be talking about the Good Samaritan, maybe in a different way than you've heard before. But see, a mature Christian doesn't read the Bible like a novel. And once you read through that, you put it aside and you try to find something else to read. A mature Christian becomes mature because you continually and continuously read the Bible. And it's happened to me a number of times. I might have come across a passage 10, 15 times, and then all of a sudden I'm reading it. But I'm in a situation or... um, Well, the Holy Spirit just reaches down and grabs me and says, this is what I want you to learn today. So I'm hoping that's what happens for you all this morning. I believe that. You know, if you're new to us or um, you were dragged here, maybe because it's Mother's Day and uh, not the mothers. The mothers are always in front dragging people. But uh, let's just say you were dragged here. There's a reason you're here. All right. And the Holy Spirit has brought you here. I want to make a big deal about that. But there's a reason you're here, not cutting your grass or watching ESPN this morning. So the most popular interpretation I mentioned of this scripture is how to treat others in need and how to show compassion. But we're going to look at it a little bit different. It's much more than a simple story on how to be good. It's far more profound than that. It's an evangelistic answer to a person in the crowd who may be asked the most incredible, important question that anybody could ask in the world. Read with me, please. Verse 25. On one occasion, an expert of the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Isn't that the most amazing question? You probably don't get this a lot, this question asked of you a lot, but it's in, it's in everybody's heart. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And by this, we mean in, in eternal life in heaven. Jesus was an awesome teacher. So he turns the question back as any good teacher would, to the man. And he answers in verse 26, what is written in the law? How do you read it? Jesus knew this man was a Jew. He knew that he was an expert in the law. That's what the text says. Now, he's a lawyer, but he's not civil lawyer like we have today. He was a um, lawyer of the law of God, right? So he knew the First Testament, the Old Testament, very well. And he knew, the, he knew the answer to this question. But he was testing Jesus. He knew that the Jews should recite the Shema twice daily as the part of prayers. The Shema is found in Deuteronomy 6, 5 and Leviticus 19, 18. And we see it here in verse 27. He answered, the lawyer answered, Lord, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. So let's just take a little step back. And look at why Jesus answered this question. 
He wasn't answering topically. He knew what was in this man's heart. He was God. He knew what was in this man's heart. He knew he was being tested. He knew he was a learned man, a, a, a man of knowledge of Scripture. And so he fired back at the question to him. So let's just look. At the time when Dr. Luke wrote this book, what Judaism was all about, they knew, Jews of the day knew that the Old Testament promised eternal life, a resurrection unto life, an eternal kingdom, which they had been promised, and they would live forever with God as a fulfillment of his promises. Unlike today's culture where everything is now, 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 the next text message and the next drive through window and the present. Jews at that time were concerned about the future, the next life, not so much about their current situations. They were more concerned about the kingdom of God than the kingdom of man. And they wanted to be a part of it. They didn't want to miss out on it. And even though they knew that God had given them divine promises for the future and it called them his chosen people, they still had questions in their minds. And even though they counted on their Jewishness, their traditions, their culture, their uh, circumcision, their uh, teachings, all of that was to qualify them as getting in the kingdom. They still had a nagging sense in their hearts, what we would call conscience, an innate realization that they were sinners and they were not going to get into heaven. So this nibbling conscience that they had made them fear that in spite of their external loveliness, you know, we'll see here this man was very proud. He had a very good external character. In spite of what he looked on the outside, inside they knew that they were not clean and they were not worthy of getting into the kingdom. So Jesus' response was, tell me how you read the law and and recite it like you do twice a day. So what does the lawyer say? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. The Shema was essentially the summation of all the laws in the Old Testament. So there are about, there are more than 600 laws in the Old Testament, right? This is a, this is a traditional Jewish customs-based legalistic belief system. 600 laws. In the, in the Old Testament. And they can be put into two categories. Loving God and loving man. So me loving God and me loving man and woman. Mankind. Now those 600 laws can be refined into the Ten Commandments. Now you all know that the first Ten Commandments relate to God. Man and God. And the second. Did I say the first five? The second five. My math. Good math, huh? The second five, six through ten, relate to man and man. So 600 to 10. And you can even take another um, condensation down to two, the Shema. And that's what we're talking about today. God, how we relate to God and how we relate to man. And that's what we get when we see what this Jewish lawyer, this uh, learned man of law, tells us. And if you do this, if you love God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength, and you love your neighbor as yourself, that's perfect love. Love God and love man. The expert in the law knew this, and he probably spent years and years reciting it twice a day. And Jesus says to him in verse 28, you have answered rightly. Do this and live. Do this and live eternally. 
Jesus is referring the back the man back to Leviticus 18:5 where the Lord says that if you keep God's statutes you will live eternally. If this man was obedient to God's all of God's laws, he would then inherit inherit eternal life. This is Jesus's answer to the man's question. That's what we have to do right there. The Shema and we inherit eternal life. The verb tense we see in this passage for the word love is present tense. You are to constantly and continually, without interruption, love God and love man as much as you love yourself. If we always love God and we always love our neighbors this way, we will inherit the kingdom of God. We will get into heaven. Always love God this way and always love your neighbors this way. Always Right? This is what was starting to get into my mind today, and that's why I call this, I uh, use the word all in caps. Look at it again. Look at the text again. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. Not just with a little piece of your heart. Not just when it's a rainy day outside, sunny day outside. <laughs> not when you're holding a baby, beautiful baby. Right? Those are all good things. Jesus records in Matthew 5:19 that says he says if you, it, the Old Testament teaches us if you broke one of those 600 laws if you just broke one of them you were not getting into heaven. So this is an impossibly high standard. All the time loving God, loving your neighbor. By the way, isn't it interesting the lawyer used the word inherit. Inherit means somewhere in the future, but not today. Remember they were thinking They weren't thinking of their next text message. They were thinking of eternity. When you inherit a gift from a a parent, it's graciousness that comes from a parent or an aunt. But it comes in the future. It's a graciousness that comes not today, but in the future. Eternal life comes at a future point. You know, of course, that everybody gets eternal life, right? Everybody gets eternal life, but it's dependent on the decisions you make, this side of judgment, where you will spend eternal life. And of course, we're in a Christian church, and we want to have you all live eternally in heaven. Jesus wasn't just speaking to any old fella. This was a committed Jew, an expert in the law, somebody who recited the Shema twice daily, a lawyer was, who was looking at this great teacher, this prophet, this healer, Jesus, he was looking him in the eye and he recited the Pentateuch, right? This was a learned Jew. He was reciting the law. What should have been his response when Jesus asked him this? What should have been his response is, look, you know, I can't, I can't live like this. I can't do this all the time. I haven't done this all the time. And you know what? I won't be able to do this all the time. I'm not perfect. I cannot do this. There's no way I can be holy like God. The, the, It's just too high a hill to climb. You know what I am? You know what? I'm a sinner. That's what he should have said. I'm a sinner. I'm headed for punishment. I'll miss out on the kingdom of God unless I receive mercy and forgiveness. He should have been as contrite as the tax collector that we will see pretty soon here in Luke 18, who could not even approach God. He couldn't look up to God when he was praying. And all he could say was, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. 
That's what he should have said. That's what this man should have said. He should have felt conviction. He should have felt remorse. Regardless of the fact that he was talking to God, which is kind of a a wild thing to get your head around, he should have felt that. Do you know why sometimes he should have fallen on his knees and he should have just said, have mercy on me. And do you know why sometimes when we pray, we have a great prayer service at the end of the service up here. And sometimes people are on their knees. Sometimes I'm on my knees. And why is that? Because, you know, sometimes I'm just full of joy. I'm full of conviction. The Holy Spirit is talking to me to say, dude, you're in front of God. You need to get down and prostrate yourself and and worship the Lord. But instead of that, what do we see this man do? This proud lawyer. He shakes off the conviction. Remember, he's nibbling back in his mind. He shakes off that conviction that an honest man would have felt. And he raises his ugly fist of self-righteous pride. And in verse 29, we read the sorry statement from the lawyer. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? So remember, this is the guy who just said, he asked the greatest question in the world. Woohoo! What a great question. Now he's asking a, the most foolish question, the most idiotic question you're going to ask, is basically, in order to try to justify himself, um, hey, uh, who's my neighbor, Jesus? He wanted to convince people that he was uh, righteous, that he had his heart right, but he wasn't. By the way, he completely skips over the whole God part, loving with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. He skips over that and just says, hey, Jesus, who is my neighbor? In effect, he's saying everything's okay with me and God. You know, we're good. But, uh, and you know what? I think everything's okay with my neighbor unless, of course, cynically, you have a different description of neighbor neighbor than me, a righteous Jew has. This guy was a piece of work. It's simply, you won't hear that in church a lot, I guess. It's simply crazy to believe that he would profess that he loved God perfectly all the time and that he loved others perfectly all the time as much as he loved himself. The fact that he tried to convince Jesus and the crowd with him just shows us the depth of Lying that humanity has. The cynical question asked to Jesus, well, maybe, teacher, you can redefine neighbor for me. Because I've checked all around my neighborhood, and by the way, they were probably all living with righteous Jews in those days. And I can't find anybody I don't love as much as myself, which wouldn't be, wouldn't be the truth anyway. I love God perfectly, he says, and I love my neighbors as myself. Can you believe this guy? Do you see any resemblance to this guy? I do when I look in the mirror. Maybe not up here, but tomorrow morning I might. I know last week I did. Jesus should have left him right there. He should have said, this guy is lying. I'm not going to deal with you anymore. I'm going to go talk to these people over here because they are honest and truthful and want to know about Scripture. They're sincere. But here we see Jesus' compassion. And that's one of the messages of the uh, Good Samaritan, is that Jesus was compassionate enough to continue with this buffoon and not just say, get, get away from me. I'm going to talk to these people. Or as Brian said last week, you know, I'm going to knock the dust off my feet. I'm done with you. But Jesus was compassionate. So here he is trying to give him another opportunity to, to get it, to tell the truth. Jesus doesn't turn his back on him. Remember, te- uh, Jesus is teaching a parable not so much 
so that he would learn how to love his neighbor as himself, but which is a byproduct of salvation. So he wanted this to be an evangelistic message. He wanted this man to be saved and all that other stuff would work out. But it didn't. This man didn't get it. He would not repent. He would not release his pride. He would not be saved. To truly inherit the kingdom of God, God's kingdom, we have to re- remove our pride. We have to re- repent. With compassion for this man and with a gracious heart, the God of the universe, Jesus, gives him one more chance to see the truth and his inability if he was honest with himself, to love God with all his might or to love his neighbor as himself. And that is the true contextual foundation for the the parable of the Good Samaritan. It's an evangelistic story that Jesus gives to this learned Jewish scholar. Let's read the parable in verse 30. In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, And went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place, saw him and passed on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins... And gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have. Which of these three, Jesus asked the man, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him, Jesus told him, go and do likewise. So here we have a man traveling. Remember, this is a made-up story. This is to tell him the truth about evangel, about the gospel. A man traveling from Jericho, uh, Jerusalem to Jericho, and he was attacked viciously, so viciously that he was left on the side of the road, bloodied, half-naked, and beaten. He's in critical condition, we would call him today, and on the way to death. But Jesus gives a little bit of hope into the story. A priest appears on the scene, and on the surface is the best of circumstances. A priest is there because a priest prays for people. A priest knows that... Old Testament law, such as in Leviticus 19.34, says that if you see a stranger in need, do whatever it takes to meet their needs. You love them as you love yourself. Oh, this is great, a priest. Hallelujah. Who better equipped spiritually to take care of this man? But what happens? The priest turns tail and passes on the other side of the man, doesn't touch him. So using this example of the priest who did not lift one finger to help this poor man, Jesus turns it around and says... Don't worry about, is talking to the lawyer, don't worry about who is your neighbor. Worry about the quality of love that you're giving to this poor person in need. So think about this. If this expert in the law had asked, had to ask Jesus, who is my neighbor? Well, that's a comical question. Because then that means he's already splitting up people into groups. These are people that I love. These are people I don't really love. And these are my in-laws, okay? (laughs) So, well, what a stupid question that is, right? So he's already breaking that up. I love my in-laws, by the way. You hear that? So, uh, but what a stupid question. But it shows the depth of his depravity in his heart that he has to ask that. Remember, he doesn't even talk about God. Love Love the Lord your God with all your heart and mind. He doesn't talk about that. He just talks about the neighbor. 
So who's my neighbor? Okay, well, I'm going to split them up because I'm a righteous Jew. And yeah, these guys don't do it, but these guys I'm okay with. So secondly, we see a Levite in the parable. Priests and Levites were from the same tribe. Uh, Priests came from the line of Aaron. So they were higher up in their duties. A Levite was a little bit lower down in the duties. They did a lot of the work around the temples and they were assistants to the priests. But they too knew the law. These were godly men. They should have known the law. So here we see that a Levite comes on the scene. Okay, the priest didn't do it, must not have seen him. Here comes the Levite. But here we have an indictment on both the Levite and the priest because the Levite also turns tail and runs. So neither of these people would take care of this poor man of his tribe, by the way. This is a Jew on on the ground. And they were both not qualified to inherit eternal life. They didn't love God, first of all. Because if they had loved God, if you love God, you will keep his commandments, right? So they didn't love God, and they certainly didn't love this poor wretch because they didn't stop to help him. So Jesus throws a little spin on the uh, story. But, the text says, a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. Well, this is not right. He had compassion on him. Unlike the hope that we received when the priest and the Levite were coming, when we read, if you were reading, if you were a Jew reading this story back, if you were listening to Dr. Luke telling this story, oh, a Samaritan? Samaritans and Jews were bitter enemies. Samaritans came from the Jewish stock, but when the northern kingdom fell, they stayed, the Samaritans stayed in the land and they intermarried with the Gentiles. And so they were seen as selling out their birthright. And um, an example is you will, they were enemies. You will remember in Nehemiah when he was trying to rebuild the wall, the Samaritans came and said, hey, brother, cousin, we're going to help you build it. And they said, get out of here. And as a matter of fact, they, uh, they warred after that, destroyed each other's temples, and it was just, just blood enemies, right? Thank the Lord in the United States we don't have these so much, Right? There are a lot of places, Tutsis, Hutus, you remember that in Rwanda, you remember Yugoslavia? We don't have that, thank the Lord. We have a little bit, but not as bad as that. But these were blood enemies, okay? So why would Jesus bring up a blood enemy? To get the message. So we didn't see the uh, Samaritan turn away from the Jew, his avowed enemies. Matter of fact, he did all he could to make him well. He took his own clothes. He ripped them apart to make bandages. He poured on his oil and wine onto the wounds to, uh, as an antiseptic and to, to clean out the wounds. He took them to an inn. He put them on his own donkey, right? A, uh, a merchant person wouldn't be walking. He'd be riding a, a donkey or a mule. So he puts them on there, takes them to the inn, and um, takes care of him. All night long, he takes care of this man. This is his enemy. This is the guy he hates. His mother and father have told him, don't ever touch those people. We hate those people. All night long, he takes care of them. He stayed with them all night. He set aside his own agenda. He was on a business trip, right? He gave up his clothes and supplies for a stranger. Much more than a stranger, for an enemy. The Samaritan even went further than that. He paid two silver coins, two denarii to the innkeeper 
Experts say that I uh, read about say that that's one or two months worth of lodging cost. Okay, so in our currency today, that'd be about five hundred dollars. All right, here you go. Here's five hundred dollars to take care to pay to the innkeeper to take care of him. So he even does more than that. Here's five hundred dollars. Um, if that's not enough, here's my credit card. If they had credit cards. You know, here, I will pay you when I get back. Just leave an open account, okay? Did you ever see a stranger do that? Did you, I'm not going to, did I ever do that? I've never done that. I've helped people out every now and again, but it's just a little bit, right? It's not like building $180,000 for this woman in uh, El Salvador, But he took care of him. He wrote him a blank check and he took care of his enemy. So I've said, I've professed that I've never done that. I'll ask you if you've ever done that. But I tell you, you have done that. And you know what? Now I'm changing my answer. I did that. How did I do that? I did that last week. Who did I take care of? I took care of myself last week. You probably did too. Right? You had the nice clothes on. You had a nice car. You had, you had food in your belly. You didn't have a, uh, a, uh, a moon roof in your house like this poor woman does. So we took care of ourselves, right? But will we do this for a stranger? This kind of treatment is way over the top for a stranger, much less an enemy. You might act this way if it's a family member, okay? I know some of you guys have helped out family members, and that's great. We have too. But in this case, this was the man's enemy. Stranger enemy just saw him, just met him on the ground there. Probably never even talked to him. You think about that. If he had to pay two months worth of lodging, this guy was in bad shape. That he had to be two months to get you know, repaired, to recover. But in this case, he showed love. The enemy, the Samaritan showed love. So this is all it takes. All it takes. All the time to earn your way into the kingdom of God. To love God with all that you have. And to love your neighbor as much as this Samaritan did in the story. Does anybody qualify? There's no way. And that's the point. That's the point of eternal life. That's the point of this evangelistic story that Jesus gave to this uh, lawyer. Jesus was trying to break into the heart of a man who is self-righteous. Who has a Jewish law uh, learner, an expert in the law, n- knew the right way to, to be, knew that he had to love God, but lied to himself and to other people and to Jesus. He lied to Jesus that he was doing these things. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. To the expert of the law, Jesus confronts him by saying, you love God like that, but you don't even talk about God. Remember, he skipped that whole God part. And now you ask me, who is your neighbor, which tells me that you're, you're already splitting neighbors into Samaritans and Jews and all Hutus and Tutsis. You're breaking them up. So Jesus ends his story by telling, saying to the lawyer, go and do likewise. Now, this isn't a command for humans that they should live like this. Now, that's a good part of the story. And I've taught on that. So it's good to have, to be a good Samaritan. And frankly, it's great that it's in the law books and it's in the culture. People are talking about the Bible. That's great. 
but it's really an indictment to somebody who should have known, this Jewish fellow, he should have known he was fallen and he couldn't work his way into heaven. You can't do it like this. You can't love God all the time. You can't love people all the time as much as you love yourself. And you don't currently, and you won't ever do it. So don't try. You'll never love God or strangers like this. What Jesus is calling for is limitless and constant love toward him and toward everyone, which is beyond our capability. Jesus wanted the Lord to give up his pride-filled self and to admit that this was what was required to get into heaven. If this was what was required, then he's not getting in, all right? He's knocking on his heart. You're not getting in. We cannot work our way to heaven. We cannot earn our way to heaven. The standard is too high. The bar is too high. It's impossible. It's impossible for us, but it's possible for the Lord. It is not impossible for God. We are saved by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ. It has nothing to do with our human selfishness. Remember, this lawyer wanted to justify himself by asking, who is my neighbor? Kind of a snarky question. Who is my neighbor? Listen to what God tells us in Galatians 2.16. Know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law, because by observing the law, no one is justified. Jesus delivered this parable of the Good Samaritan as an evangelistic message. For this lost sinner to understand it, through all of his ritualism and ceremonies and tradition and Jewishness and Old Old Testament culture, none of that will get you into heaven. This expert of the law was so full of pride to admit that he needed more than all his laws and tradition. He lied to himself and he lied to Jesus and the others that the Shema, uh, who, the others who recited the Shema twice daily. Only by realizing that you cannot do it on your own. You can't be proud like this man and do it on your own. Only by seeing that we will never be able to love God with all our heart and everything in our being. And to, and to be truthful about the fact that we, we don't. Love our neighbors, everybody as ourselves. And that we have to surrender to Jesus. Only then will we inherit eternal life. So the question is, his question was, who teacher, who will inherit eternal life with God in heaven? Those who repent of their lack of love to God and to others. You have to repent of that and cry out to God for forgiveness. And... Ask him to take control of your life. Surrender all, A-L-L, capitalized A-L-L, to God. If you do that, you'll be saved by grace through faith in Christ Jesus. The Lord will forgive you of your lack of love for him and your lack of perfect love for your neighbors. That's the meaning of the story of the Good Samaritan. It's an evangelistic message to this guy who should have known better. It's an evangelistic message to us. So I'll ask the worship team to come forward. I want to go over, I put in your notes there, you know, I was thinking there's only a couple times in in scripture where there's actually that question, what must I do to be saved? 
So I was reflecting on that, and I, uh, I just love Book of Romans. So what must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do to be saved? You've got to realize you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven by your own works. You can't earn your way in. We can't just go to El Salvador, build this house and say, good job. You know, Jesus can say, good job. You know, you're in. That's not the way it works. If we go down there hard hearted and and uh, we're just punching the ticket, God knows what our heart is. Romans 10 and verse 9 says that if you confess with your mouth, I want you all to read this this next week. Read the whole chapter. It's awesome because it also talks about going out and uh, who's going to help this woman but us. Right. God has married us to this woman, Rosa. Supernaturally, we met her last year just by handing out food. And God is sending us down there this year with your help to build her a house. 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The middle schoolers love that because I always leave that. And they put it in there.